Happy Wednesday night to you, church family. Uh, let me mention I'm excited about this weekend as we will be observing a special Youth Sunday with youth leading us in the various aspects of the service. And so look for more uh, information on that, but you don't want to miss Sunday service online. And uh, I know that that will mean a great deal uh, to all of the youth involved if they could hear from you, just words of encouragement. Uh, I want to ask you tonight to find Matthew chapter 11 in your copy of the Scripture. I'm going to begin reading at verse 25 of Matthew 11, but we're going to concentrate on verses 28 down to verse 30. And I want to talk to you tonight about resting in the Lord. Let's read our Scripture together, and then we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. In verse 25, the Scripture says, At that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've had, you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Father, we thank you for this time that we can come together around your word. We may be separated by distance, but Lord, we stand on that promise that where two or three are gathered together in your name, you're in our midst. Lord, you are omnipresent. You're everywhere. And so as we study together in our separate homes, Lord, we, we can know based on your promise and your attributes and your character that you are with each and every one of us. I pray that you would speak to us tonight through your word. Lord, instruct us. Teach us more of what it means to rest in the Lord. Father, we want to continue to pray for those in our church family who are struggling, perhaps at work, Lord, we pray that the jobs of our members would be secure, that you would watch over uh, family finances, and that our people would not be overly anxious about that, but Lord, that we would trust you. For those who have had recent deaths in their family, we pray for their continued comfort. For those facing health issues, Lord, be a shepherd to them. You're a tower of strength, a refuge. You're the good shepherd. Lord, give them the assurance that their life is in your hands and there's no better place to be than that. I pray that you would bring about healing to your people. Lord, we do want to pray for this weekend as our youth lead us in the service. We thank you for the leadership that Kevin and Molly offered to our young people. 
And Father, we we pray for the service that You would use them in a tremendous way to touch our lives. Lord, they, they are Your servants and they want to faithfully minister to the bride of Christ, Your body. And so I pray that You would bless their efforts and use their efforts and bring fruit out of what they do, fruit that will last and bring glory to Your name. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As we think about Matthew chapter 11 and what Jesus says, particularly in verses 28 and following, I want to first of all remind you that God is transcendent. He is other than us. He exists above His creation. One of my favorite passages referring to that would be Isaiah chapter 40. I've mentioned Isaiah 40 uh, recently to you. You may want to go back and read that chapter in its entirety. A tremendous chapter about how awesome and majestic our God is. When we say that God is transcendent, what we mean is that He is totally distinct from His creation. He's unique. You can't compare Him to anything in creation. In fact, the only adequate analogy you could give is if God Himself gives an analogy in His Word. The Bible declares that God is distinct. He is transcendent even in His thoughts. Remember Isaiah 55 Verses 8 and 9, the Lord says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. He's also transcendent in His person. In Psalm 50, verse 21, we're told that God is unlike man. And so when you deal with God, you're not simply dealing with an elevated man. The French agnostic Voltaire once said, God created man in his own image, and man has returned the favor. That's unfortunate. God created man, and we've reduced God down to something in our image, uh, maybe like a Superman or something. But folks, we need to remember God is uniquely transcendent. He's also transcendent in His deity. In Psalm 97, 9, the Scripture says that He is exalted far above all gods. In fact, in the the first of the Ten Commandments, we're told that we're to have no other gods besides Him. Why? Because He's the only true and living God. God is transcendent. And yet, God has chosen to be eminent. He has condescended to us. He has drawn near to us. In John 1, verse 14, we're told, the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Now, what does it mean for God, who is transcendent, to also come to us and be eminent? Well, in In Matthew 11, we're going to see some of the application to that. 
We read that if we were to go back and and read the previous verses in Matthew 11, Jesus has been to numerous villages and they've rejected him. Now imagine that. In his grace, he has come to him and they've turned away from him. They've rejected him. The one who has formed us and fashioned us In fact, the one who has formed and fashioned all of creation has come to his creation. He came to his own. John 1.11 says he came to his own and his own received him not. How sad. That's astounding when you think about it. But we see in these verses that we've just read that even this is a part of God's plan. Those who are wise and prudent in their own eyes have missed it. Others, unlikely candidates as they might be, have embraced it. Well, what does it look like when transcendence draws near? What does God offer to us? I want you to notice, first of all, what Jesus points out here. He gives us an invitation to rest. An invitation to rest. He says there in verse 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, look at to whom that that verse is, is addressed. First of all, it is addressed to the ones who labor. You know, the, the world is oftentimes a very wearisome place. All over our country right now, people are searching for answers. Some are weary. Uh, First of all, there's this virus that we continue to deal with. And now the economy is also a concern for a lot of people. People are in need of rest. They're in need of comfort. They're in need of direction. You may have heard about a guy who wrote a check and then he got a notice in the mail from his bank and it said insufficient funds. Well, he called his his bank, and he said, this notice insufficient funds, are you talking about me, or are you talking about you? People are scared. They need direction. Uh, There's a lot of need that we see around us. You know, people also need courage in times like this. I read a humorous story about a guy who'd recently gone to heaven. His name was Bob. Bob was a wimpy little fella, and he got to heaven, and he was talking with an angel about his life on earth. And the angel said, Bob, what's the most courageous thing you've ever done in your life? And Bob said, well, I saw a big, burly motorcycle gang member picking on a little old helpless lady. And I walked over to him, and I had words to him, and then I shoved him, and I, and I punched him right in his jaw. And the angel was impressed and said, wow, when, when did that happen, Bob? And Bob said, oh, about five minutes ago. We need courage. Other people are worried in life. You know, it's been discovered that people worry about things that never happen. 40% of all worries fall into that category. 30% of worries fall into, into the category of things past, 
which can't be changed or corrected. 12% fall into the category of needless worry about our health. 10% are petty or meaningless worries. Only 8% of worries are real and legitimate worries. Others are striving. They're stressed out. You know, Time Magazine reported a number of decades ago that there was a study that was being done, a Senate subcommittee back in the 1960s about what life was going to be like as the 21st century uh, began. And they said the biggest challenge at the beginning of the 21st century would be because of all the computers and technologies, people would only be working probably 15 hours a week at most. And the biggest challenge would be people would be trying to figure out what to do with all of their free time, all of their leisure time. Well, I think we could safely say the experts were wrong. So many are stressed out today. They're stressed out with their work. Folks, it was no different in Jesus' day. You know, history just sort of trades its problems back and forth from, from one time period to another. It reminds me of what the book of Ecclesiastes says, that there's nothing new under the sun. The time of Jesus was a stressful time. It was worrisome. It was troubled. You see, in 63 B.C., the land of Judea had become subject to Rome when Pompey had marched into the land of Palestine. The Jews remained under Roman control during the entire New Testament period, and Rome taxed them heavily. And so the people of Judah and Israel would work hard only to give their money back to the Romans in, in the form of taxes. Taxes would be collected by tax gatherers. And Rome would oftentimes farm that out to locals. The locals would collect, uh, collect the tax that was due, and then anything else that they could collect, they could keep as their profit. And so a tax collector, who might be a fellow Jew to you, would tell you that maybe you owned you owed Rome $10. Let's just put it in today's monetary figures. That you owed $10 to Rome and maybe you only owed $6. You had no way of double-checking that. And so you'd pay the $10 and the tax collector would keep four of the 10 and turn the six into Rome. And so they were oftentimes seen as being greedy thieves. So the people worked hard only to give their income to somebody else, even somebody who might be taking advantage of them. That's the type of people that Jesus ministered to. He mentions here all who labor. And that can also include those who are working their fingers to the bone in a spiritual sense. In other words, they were trying to be good enough to be accepted by God and earn their salvation. They were being told by the religious leaders that they had to keep all of the laws in order to be justified in the sight of God. Now, in addition to the commands of Scripture, the rabbis wrote their own commentaries on the Scripture. You may have heard one of the words referring to the commentaries, the Mishnah, the Jewish Mish Mishnah. It was compiled across a period of 335 years from about 200 B.C. to about 
135 A.D. The Mishnah is grouped into 63 different treatises or categories that deal with all aspects of Jewish life, whether legal or theological or social or religious. Soon after the Mishnah was compiled, it became known as the Iron Pillar of the Torah. The rabbis elevated their writings in the Mishnah to basically an equal status to the Scripture itself. So they had put all these additional burdens onto the people. The average man couldn't live by all the regulations in the Mishnah. And yet the people were told if they didn't live by it, they wouldn't be right with God. And so here they were trying, but it was impossible. And so they were laboring. They were weighed down. They were, they were burdened. They were burdened about just daily cares in their life, their work, their families, but they were also laboring in the spiritual sense, trying to be justified in the sight of God. You know, people today are pretty much the same way. The Muslim says that you have to observe the five pillars of Islam, which includes praying five times a day and fasting one month every year during daylight hours. The, the Orthodox Jew says there are certain things that you do and don't do. You know, don't prepare dairy and meat in the same kitchen. Don't push an elevator button on the Sabbath and all kinds of other do's and don'ts. The, hind, the Hindu says make an offering at your household shrine three times a day and you might be reincarnated one day into a higher existence. So many people in the world are laboring in a religious sense. The people that Jesus was addressing were doing that, trying to keep all of the laws of God and all the regulations that the rabbis said they had to live by. But you remember what Paul said in the book of Romans? In Romans chapter 3, he says, By the keeping of the law, no man will be justified in the sight of God. Folks, it's so interesting how even today all of the religions of the world say do this, don't do that in order to be right with God. But the Bible doesn't say that at all. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, come to Him. He says here, come to me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. To all of those past and present with the weight of life on their shoulders, with the weight of religion on their shoulders, trying to do everything to survive in life, trying to do everything to be right with God, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Well, he not only addresses those who are labored, uh, heavy laden, but also those who are burdened. Notice what he says here, come to me all who are weary and burdened. This refers to those who have burdens and cares and worries put on them. The, the word can also be used of putting a heavy load upon an animal. 
like they did back in ancient times. And there are people who feel like this is what life has done to them. Perhaps a job loss has invaded your otherwise serene and peaceful life. Everything was going well, and then all of a sudden you've heard that you're being laid off. Perhaps a marriage failure has invaded your life. Perhaps the loss of a loved one. Maybe, maybe financial obligations. Others may have a family sickness going on. You know, there's always going to be burdens of one sort or another. When the burdens that we face right now are over, there'll be something else that comes along. Jesus said, in this world, there are tribulations. There will always be something putting burdens on us. And again, what does Jesus say? Come to me. He offers rest. He's not just simply talking here about a cessation of activity. He's talking about rest in the ultimate sense, salvation and peace with God. The word used here, in fact, was the same word used of the Sabbath. And you'll recall in the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews reminds us that there is a Sabbath rest for the people of God. What's he talking about? He's talking about salvation and then ultimately what it's going to be in the new heavens and the new earth one day. And so he's talking about a rest down deep inside, a rest for your very soul. That's what Jesus offers to you and me. All of the striving in your heart can be over. All of the restlessness in your soul can be over. All of the lack of peace can evaporate. In Christ, you can find rest, a rest and a peace that transcends all of the storms and the burdens of life. And it's all because the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The transcendent came near. How could Jesus say such a thing? How could Jesus say, come to me? Well, because he's the Lord. Look at verse 27. Jesus says there, all things have been committed to be committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Folks, Jesus is Lord, and He made you. He knows what you need. He even said to, to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, He said, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I've appointed you a prophet to the nations. He's the Lord. He's also the good shepherd. In John 10, Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Again, look at verse 27 here in Matthew 11. All things have been delivered unto him by the Father. Folks, the world can give you a lot at times but it certainly cannot give you rest for your soul. Only Jesus can do that. Come to Him. 
Recognize that all of your striving and working and worrying has not done anything in and of itself for you. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, By worrying, who can add one cubit to his life? Come to him. We see here an invitation to rest. Secondly, we see here an invitation to relationship. Look at verse 29 and 30. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, most of us today have no idea what a yoke is in this sense anyway. You know, today when we hear the word yoke, we think of of an egg yoke. But obviously, Jesus isn't talking about that. A yoke was a piece of wood that farmers used in ancient times that would be laid over the shoulders of oxen. If they plowed with one ox, they would simply hook it up to a harness. But if they plowed with two oxen, they would put a yoke across them, the yoke would be secured to each animal, and then that way you didn't just have four-wheel drive, you had eight-wheel drive. What you were doing with the yoke was taking advantage of synergy. Now, let me explain. Those who plow with horses, like Clydesdales, have learned the advantage of synergy. You would think if, if one horse could pull a ton you put two horses yoked together, they pull two tons. I mean, seems like simple math, right? But supposedly those who have done this before say you, you actually have the two animals pulling more than just the two tons. Uh, there's a synergy at work. So one plus one doesn't always equal two in this sense. In fact, Plowing like this, one plus one might equal three. The power of synergy. Now, just imagine if you are yoked to Jesus. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Because again, who is he? He's the sovereign God of the universe. Read what Paul says about him in Colossians 1, verses 15 and following. He was the agent of creation. Back then in Genesis 1-1, where the Bible says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. From what the Bible tells us, Jesus was the agent of creation. Father and Son and Holy Spirit were all present at creation. And And the Son was the agent of creation. And He's saying here, take my yoke upon you. Folks, He's not simply saying, do your part and then I'll also do my part. Remember, He's God. As Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly, uh, more than we could ask or think, according to the power at work in us. And so if you're yoked to Jesus, you have far more than even just synergy going on. You have a relationship with the sovereign God of the universe. You see, they would yoke a younger ox 
with an older ox. The older ox would be older, stronger. He would be experienced. The younger ox would do what the older ox did. He would get on the job training, if you will. Jesus is saying, take my yoke upon you. Link your life to mine and learn of me. Folks, he's talking here about relationship. The Christian life isn't simply about the fact that you might have walked an aisle in church 20 or 25 years ago. Now, that's important to make a public profession of faith. But folks, the Christian life is about a relationship, an ongoing relationship where Jesus is the Lord of your life and you follow his lead. You learn of him. You go where he goes. You do what he does. I mean, you don't do what he does in the sense of what he was able to do as deity because we're not deity. But you understand what I'm saying. What he's doing, you, you, you try to have the same type of heartbeat and priorities that he has. Folks, Jesus didn't come just simply to add a little bit of spice to your life. He came to take over your life. He came so you would learn to do his will, just as the younger ox would follow whatever the older one did. It wasn't a tug-of-war type relationship. It was a dictatorship. The younger did whatever the older led him to do. You say, that sounds life-changing. It is. You say, that sounds like Jesus is asking me to give up total control of my life to him. Absolutely. That's exactly what he's inviting us to do. You say, well, that that means that, you know, who knows, a year or two from now, I might be on a foreign mission field somewhere. Exactly. The Lord may lead me to reconcile with my enemy, and I might not be ready to do that. Well... You need to. You see, as Lord of your life and my life, He doesn't come just to give us nice little recommendations or suggestions. He comes to take over. But folks, we don't have to worry about Him taking over. He has our best interest at heart. Christians, you know what I'm saying here. I think in my own life, back when when God was working in my life as a young man, I was in college, and and God was about to call me to ministry, of course. I didn't know he was about to do that, but that was the fear of mine that if I totally relinquished everything over to him, he might call me to be a pastor or something. Well, exactly. That's what he called me to do. But you know what? Now it's the joy of my life. I wouldn't want it any other way. And so we don't have to be afraid of yielding everything over to Him. When transcendence becomes imminent, when the transcendent God invades human experience, it changes everything. But what Jesus is offering is a good change. It's a good invasion. And folks, He's going to invade your existence sooner or later. It'll either be now in grace or later in judgment. 
You're not going to escape him. In fact, the Bible says one of these days, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is inviting us to come now to him in a relationship. Look at what Jesus says about himself in other places. And, and here, you know, he talks about himself being meek and lowly. The word meek means gentle. Jesus will be gentle if you come to him humbly. One thing I never find in the New Testament is Jesus being harsh with anyone who came to him humbly recognizing their need. He wasn't harsh with the woman at the well. He wasn't harsh with the woman caught in adultery. He wasn't harsh with Zacchaeus. But you know who he was harsh with? He was harsh with those who rejected him. So again, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm going to invite you tonight to do exactly what we're told here in the Word of God to do. Come to Jesus. You'll find salvation in Him and in Him alone. There's not ten ways to God or five ways to God or even two ways to God. There's one way, and His name is Jesus. Come to Him, you'll find salvation, but you'll also find a continuing peace and comfort as you walk in a relationship with Him. I'm going to invite you to do also exactly what Jesus is referring to here. Cast all your cares upon Him because He cares for you. You know, 1 Peter 5, 7 tells us that. What worries do you have? Bring them all to the Lord. Do you have any burdens in your life? Lay them at His feet. Do you need strength? Ask the Lord for it. Do you have fears? Bring those fears to the Lord. Lay all of your burdens at His feet. Some of you need to be praying for a loved one who doesn't know Christ. If Jesus were to come back soon for His church, you know that they wouldn't be ready. So pray for them. Others need to take the yoke of the Lord today. You've, you've surrendered your life to the Lord, but you haven't really continued to learn from Him. You need to be a disciple, a learner. There's no time like the present to begin. You know, this year, this spring, right before Easter, I was encouraging each of us to use this time uh, this time where we were being told to stay in place and not socialize and maybe you had more free time on your hands to use some of that free time to read through all four Gospels. If you haven't done that, let me encourage you to get back to doing that. And keep a, keep a running log of everybody that Jesus encountered and how He dealt with them. And I think you're going to be very encouraged by that. Be His disciple today. 
Learn from Him. And again, in the crazy sort of world that you and I live in today, what what we are going to receive is we will receive rest for our souls. A rest that is deeper, far deeper than anything in the world can give to us. God bless you. Have a great week.